Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. New CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Finally, not like they got here. Walk in the paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Special surprise time for you guys. Every now and then, a friend of the program stops by. This time, it's Cole Kubelik, SEC Network, ESPN, like 15 other things. And we chatted for like an hour plus about all sorts of things going on in college football. And when we get that opportunity, we like to take it around here. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is our conversation with our buddy, Cole Kubelik. Welcome in. Time to time, we like to welcome in special guests here on Late Kick. More relaxed atmosphere. You can tell because the white tee is not even on, but sometimes friends of the program knock on the door and we have to open the door. And Cole Kublik is that friend and the knock has come and he has arrived. So we welcome him in again. And look, I don't know what we're going to talk about. It's, it's Memorial Day Eve as this is playing, but I felt patriotic. I felt like welcoming in one of my fellow Americans. And I guess my first question is, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Better than you, it sounds like, uh, with the, the back injury. You're away from the desk, so I'm a little concerned about you. This doesn't feel normal. Uh, no chalets, no white tea. This, I mean, what are we even doing here? Is I, this a new show? Are we, starting, are we launching a new show now? I'd be lying if I said I knew what we were doing. I'm even, I'm even drinking real coffee over here. So you remember the McGuire home run chase in the late 90s, and then afterwards, neither of them replicated those numbers again. Sammy Sosa starts to have the allegations levied against him, and then he hurts himself one day, sneezing. And I thought it was just a cover for something else, right? Well, then fast forward all these years later, and I'm not a youth in West Central Georgia anymore, and I got bad allergies. So I sneezed the other day, and I sneezed violently, and I have like a, a pain in my upper back, and I tweak the back muscle. It's not, a full, it's not a full-on pull, but I strained the back muscle. So I mm. thought it was good enough to where I could go lift yesterday and do chest, which doesn't even incorporate back, at least I'm told, and then retweaked it. So it's a bad time for your boy here. That, uh, that doesn't sound like paid state material, number one. Um, we need a new trainer. Uh, we maybe need a, a new medical staff. Somebody's getting the ax here. Yeah. Uh, but hey, you, you know what? You're playing through it. So I'll give you credit for that. And I'm leaning forward, so I can't even lean on the desk here or the uh, chair. But I was asking you right before we started, I was talking to Gabe Eichert the other day. We were doing a, a serious XM hit out there, and I asked him, I'll ask you the same thing, because I, I feel like if I had to play a football game today, even though my legs and my arms are fine, no pain whatsoever, and those are the things that normally keep you out, and I have no head injury whatsoever, I can't bend in certain ways with this. And if I breathe deep, it, like, it's not a structural thing. It's not a play-through pain thing. I feel like my back would actively prevent me from moving the way I needed to. 
But yet no one wants to be scratched with a mild upper back strain, which is what they would have to list this as. So I would have to have the trainer lie and just say I'm hurt somewhere else. But I was asking you, what is the worst injury that you ever actually started a football game with? And you said you went a whole season with something. Yeah, I subluxed my patella. I actually did it in practice in my right knee, uh, like week three of my senior year. And Dr. Andrews pulls me over. He says, listen, we can we can operate and we can fix this right now. Uh, four to six weeks, you'll, you'll be back. Uh, but there's no telling when it's going to be 100 percent or we can. And this is like really I felt really old school. I almost felt like my my father. He's like, we can tape it every day, like structurally keep it in place. I guess they didn't have a brace for this specific injury back then. And uh, you can just go the rest of the year. And I was like, well, I ain't missing my senior year. So tape it and let's go. Let's figure it out. And so we did that. Also had a, a broken fifth metatarsal that I practiced through. Uh, so I didn't start a game with it. And I went about four or five days on that. And then finally we x-rayed it and found that it was fractured. Um, that wasn't comfortable. I ended up having a screw put in that. But um, yeah, I think what we're finding out about you is just that one, you're soft. And, and two, um, if, if we were, if we did have a game tomorrow, we would figure this out. We, we have, we have cortisone shots. Uh, we have heating pads. We have different things where we would get you ready to play and you just have to battle through it. You're, you're not missing a game for a freaking back muscle strain. Like, I would hope go. not. Sorry. I would hope not. I went to Walgreens and got those little electroshock things, but I didn't have anyone to stick it on my back cause the, the staff wouldn't do it for me. Something about HR. So I, I had to like lean it against the wall and then lean against the wall. And so I, I electroshocked myself last night and that just made it worse. So yeah, um, I mean, I can't fight the soft allegation. I would feel terrible not playing a game right now with just a mild upper back strain, but it is what it is. So I love, I love those questions about like playing a game right now and one play, 10 plays, a series. Like this was going on, I guess, on social media last week. Like, could you throw for 10 yards in an NFL game? The answer that's no, you, you people couldn't do that. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get through a single play and I'm not talking about injured. Like I, I would probably be paralyzed if not dead after, after one play, like in, in high level college football right now, like that's where my body is today. I don't even like to pretend about it. I think I would hurt myself if I had to get to a full sprint. Like if a lion was chasing me down my street right now, I might just stop and walk and just, just take it. Just maybe I could get an eye gouge in or. I don't know. I, I, I'm not I, getting to full speed right now would put me in the hospital. Yeah, I'm almost well, assured because of that. I mean, so so Poopgate arose on your block and you couldn't even do anything about it. And if you want to tell the people <laughs> what that was, feel free. I followed this with bated breath. Updates were being given via social media every other day. And I, on one hand, felt sorry for you. But on the other hand, I lost a little respect for you because I was asking, why doesn't this guy just go do something about it? Like take matters into his own hands. And as it turns out, you're you're basically a physical derelict now. Well, what I found out was that there were multiple guilty parties. This wasn't one individual. And you people that that pick up your dog's poop in a bag and place it in someone else's yard or beside somebody's garbage can or behind their fence, um, you're bad people and you should all be punished severely for that. And I've got nothing for you. So I couldn't pin it on one person. Um, I did install enough cameras and make enough social media threats to where it moved about three houses down because I have gone through my back alley and seen that. So now I feel sorry for those people. Mm. But at least I was able to push the majority of it away from my yard. Your yard and the next yard are not my concern. No. My yard is my concern. And 
we've gotten the majority of the poop gators uh, out of my yard. So we've, we've at least slowed it down. We're a bend but don't break defense here. Like the anti-neighborhood watch approach to poop gate has been taken. It's beautifully done. Yeah. So it sure. says here, it says here you host a show named Mac and Cube, and it says that you work for SEC Network and ESPN. You live with your family in Birmingham. So I guess my next question for you is, have people always forgotten the name of your podcast? No one's ever known the name of it, technically. It's that podcast that that guy does, or that, pot, that show via podcast I think that he has. Uh, no one knows what it's called. No one knows where to find it. Uh, it's, it's obvious by the numbers, no one knows how to subscribe to it. And, and based on the views, you can, you can tell that no one can even locate it. So yes, uh, I think what happens is people magically distribute clips of it to other people to then go make fun of and try to talk trash about. And then when they do that, they have no reference point because we really don't even know if it exists. So that's where we are. We're just literally running in circles, some baby YouTube show, maybe podcast that that guy does. And sometimes it's good. Most times it's not. Um, if the people can't tell watching right now, <clears throat> something happened to elicit a lot of this emotion. Because at this point, this dude would rather his house burn down than have this happen again. But I do want to tell you, for those of you watching, it is called The Cube Show Podcast, and it is available. It's a wonderful resource. I would highly subscribe you, or I'd highly advise you to go subscribe to it. But I would also, um, without tossing folks under the bus, let's just reiterate the message, okay? You don't care if people take content from your pod. That, that's, a, that's a yes, yes. The no-no is what? Please name the podcast. Uh, please reference it by name. And location of where you found it would also be preferable via Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, at Cube Show on social media, at Cube Show 61 via YouTube. That's all we need. Just throw us a bone and say, this is where the podcast is. This is where we stole this content from to try to better our content. This is where we went and took things that our brain can't come up with and tried to make it look like our brain came up with it. And just name what it is when you decide to do that. Thank you. Yes. Cube Show. It's not me, by the way. I'm not the guilty party, but Cube Show. That was their show prep. And that's all that's he asked. That's the one. That's, that's fair. the one. All right, so let, let's, let's do something different. Let's talk about actual college football. So every time I am on a radio hit right now, people are asking about sleeper teams, and you, you actually do radio in Birmingham. You do 50 million different things. So I assume you've been getting asked a lot about this. You've been talking a lot about it too. So draw me a few Sharpie circles. Who are some sleeper teams you got your eye on? Let me go backwards real quick, though, because I do a lot of what you do and talk to different people. What is the worst repeated question that you're getting right now like in your cycle of interviews that you do you came on my show i think last week or the week before what's the what's the worst kind of question that everybody's asking right now is that it is that why you're asking me that question because you hate the sleeper team question? yeah i despise it uh but it's not the worst the worst right now is not in and of itself a bad question it's just that people keep asking what's the future of the ACC? Like there's any skill in knowing that whatsoever. I could ask the commissioner <laughs> of the ACC and he could not in good conscience tell me what the future of it is. I was talking to an ACC head coach this morning and his words to me were, do you have any idea what's going to happen over here? Because they think they're going to be the last to know and they may very well be right. Same thing on the West Coast. Pac-12 folks, they don't know. The coaches don't know. The ADs don't know in some cases. So I would say that's the most frequently asked question and it also 
is not in my best interest or your best interest because we're like the rare people who like to talk about on the field matters. And when this stuff chokes the conversation this time of year, that's how you end up having Georgia win a national championship last year and no one talks about them all spring. And then you fast forward a year and they won another one. And still, unless you've made a conscious effort to, the national conversation shifts over to other stuff. And it, you, you ha- here's what happens. You have to deal with people in Athens come fall who claim that you disrespected them because you didn't talk about them all spring. And you're trying to tell them, no, no, that's not it at all. I, like, it's, it, it's in my channel's best interest to talk about you. It's just other stuff was happening. There are five volcanoes going off in the sport right now. And they put their fingers in their ear and say, la, 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 can't hear you. So I guess those two, sleeper teams and the future of conference realignment. Yeah, but first, I'm glad that you brought up people who don't mention Georgia in the spring, because on the Cube Show, we actually did. And we pissed a lot of people off. Uh, so I just wanted to make it known there that when Kirby does go after folks after the next national title, that show was not one that skipped them. Right. We actually did reference them a few times. Sleeper teams. We'll start in the SEC since that's where I spend most of my time. Uh, and, and this is always hard, too, because I think how you categorize a team as a sleeper depends on what most people think about them. But you're always going to have people who maybe weren't sleeping on said team. I think Kentucky's a sleeper team right now. Um, if they can find a way and they got a bunch of transfers coming in that could help to figure out the offensive line, and Liam Cohen, by design, can cover some of that up. Now, he can't go erase you and I play in both guard spots, but he can find a way to mask it to a certain extent. I don't think Devin Leary, I don't think SEC fans have an idea how good of a quarterback Devin Leary is. Now, he's got to be upright. Availability has got to be his best ability, and that has not been his best ability through the course of his career. But if he's in the game, uh, Josh, Kentucky has the best receiver room they've had in the history of Kentucky football right now. And there have been other great individual receivers, maybe one or two. They have three, maybe four right now that are as good or better than they've ever had. Uh, I think Ray Davis is exceptional. Vanderbilt transfer running back. You go get another transfer running back from NC State that's been a little bit dinged up that can maybe add a few things for you. Um, and then defensively, Brad White just does an amazing job. And now Justin Rogers was a big loss. He's headed over to Auburn. But I still think with the way that they play, the physicality that they bring, that blueprint that, that Coach Stoops has, that foundation, it's not going away. They're, they're not changing how they build houses. They're just sort of moving around the floor plan of the house. And I think they can be more explosive than they've been in a long time by still maintaining some of that physicality, playing some ground and pound, opening up play action. And Devin Leary can be great with those things. So that's one of the SEC that I don't think people are looking at saying, oh, wow, they could get to double digit wins or maybe even past that. Texas A&M is another one. And it's really simple with A&M. They have one of the most talented offensive lines in the country. Does not mean they're one of the best, but one of the most talented offense. Lane Robinson has great tape out there. Ruben Fatherly has great tape out there. Last year, they both had some not-so-great tape that was put out there. A lot of experience on that group, and the defensive line sort of the same way. Loaded with talent, can be disruptive, can be all over the place causing problems, but there were a lot of instances they weren't in the right places last year. Like They would get a win, but you're not supposed to be there, and the gap that you're supposed to be maintaining just gave up a 15-yard run. Like It's great that you knocked that tackle on his ass. We actually needed you to stay in this gap to make sure that that 15-yard run didn't happen. Every every team that we start and stop with is going to begin there. They've got an experienced quarterback that Jimbo loves. That uh, They have a very talented wide receiver room. Am I a little concerned about tailback? Mildly. Uh, am I a little concerned about second, third level of the defense? Yes, especially second level. 
But they've got big-time talent in places that you have to have it. Quarterback, receiver, both lines of scrimmage. That's a great starting point to be able to go win some football games. And I actually am not one of those guys that thinks Jimbo won't get out of the way. Like He's going to be causing problems. I think he brought Bobby in to let Bobby do it. Now, I will say this. One of the most enjoyable places for you and I to be this college football season would be a fly on the wall in some of those offensive meeting rooms. Because, good Lord, that's going to be fun. I mean, the arguments and debates they're going to have is going to be. And I'll, I will say this, too, about one thing that people aren't talking about with A&M. You know a guy who's at A&M right now who I think is going to be massive for that football team this year? Former offensive coordinator Jim Chaney. Oh, he is out there. You know what? That reaction for me probably says it all because I covered this sport for a living and just acted mildly surprised to remember Chaney's out there. Yes, go ahead. Continue. Listen, there, but that's every team's got analysts, portal guys. Like it, it's We can't keep up with all of it. I think he might inject a little bit of let's just kind of chill out, guys. Like, let's go have a beer. Or why don't we just run it this way? Like, he will be the total opposite personality of every other guy in that offensive meeting room. I think he will help just from that perspective. Those are two kind of local, I guess, sleeper teams nationally. I honestly, it's probably not a sleeper for a lot of people out West. I feel like no one's talking about Washington. Yeah. None. And you got a quarterback that should have been in New York. Now, you do lose some pieces of your offensive line. You just got Dylan Johnson a guy who's literally Ram Man from He-Man running the football, like will just put his head down and blast through you. They have a great receiver core with essentially everybody back, tight ends back. Majority of the front seven on defense, which was super disruptive, is back. They have a ton of leadership left over from that team last year, and Kalen DeBoer will tell you that's the reason they got to where they were last year was leadership. I understand that there are, there's a boatload of elite quarterbacks in the Pac-12. And what does that equal? Upsets, at least in my mind it does. So they may drop a game or two that they're not supposed to, but I think they'll win a game or two they're not supposed to. And yes, we could probably have a similar discussion about Oregon, about USC. We could maybe Oregon State, depending on what happens with DJ. We don't really know just yet. But I think Washington's the team that if I had to right now, Utah lost some serious pieces yep. of just kind of what they are at the core. Quarterback, fantastic. But you lose the tight ends they've lost. You lose Diabate on defense. I'm, I, I, just, I don't feel as comfortable replacing that as I do with what Washington lost and is replacing it with. They would be my leader in the Pac-12 and sort of my dark horse for the national championship. So therefore, yeah, I would qualify Washington as a sleeper team right now. So uh, I'm going to go starting where you finish. I'm going to work my way all the way back. Because right now, e even if I'm talking uh, to someone in the SEC or the Big Ten, when they ask about sleeper teams... I can't help it. The conversation just naturally gravitates out West because of the quarterback situation in the Pac-12. And the other thing is, anytime you talk Pac-12 football right now, everyone acts surprised like, oh, oh, I didn't know Washington was supposed to be that. I didn't know Oregon State was supposed to be that because they're used to talking about conference realignment. Like they haven't even allowed their mind to shift to what this actually is all about, which is on the field. So with Washington, people are like stunned. When you even give them those numbers, I don't think half the country even knows Oregon State was a double-digit win team last year. No. But I'll tell you right now, so what used to be the North, now it's just take the best two teams, which I like as a format better, but in what used to be the North out there, Washington defensively is already a really good outfit. Uh, Utah has been that, but you were talking about some of the pieces they have to replace. What stood out to me about Oregon, whether it be recruiting or the portal, is number one, they got Bo Nix to come back, so they're set at quarterback, but then number two, they are stacking defensive linemen, man. They are really, really yeah. good and building depth, which is what you and I both know. Anytime you're watching high-level games and you're watching games featuring teams that you're talking about with that kind of playoff sense around them, 
when they roll their twos in there, I'm not saying there's not a drop-off, but there's not a big drop-off. And you don't have to sacrifice to roll your second and third team in there. Some, some of them go three deep, but easily most of the championship contenders are going two deep on the front. And I don't know if Oregon's going to be like cruising altitude there yet, but I think they'll be closer than any team out there this year. And in a conference that's going to be all about quarterbacks, like if you can get after the quarterback better than anyone else, that feels like it gives you a leg up out there. And I was talking to one of their staffers and they said, hey man, I know that you guys are talking recruiting a lot and you're talking portal a lot, but man, us getting Bo Nix to come back, because his dad wanted him to go in NFL draft, us getting Bo Nix to come back, that's the biggest recruiting win we had. And they, they lost Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State, so they got a new offensive coordinator. Said that is huge, huge, huge. We love where we're at right now. Now, I'm interested to see because I mean, Kenny Dillingham obviously helped Bo Nix move past a lot of bad habits and a lot of mistakes that he was making on a consistent basis at Auburn. Imagine, though, if somehow, some way, he takes even another step yeah. this year because all the physical tools and attributes are there. I mean, the guy's got great mobility. He's one of the toughest quarterback competitors I've ever seen in watching college football, bottom line. Now, did it go too far at times and some of the sideline antics, things of that nature? Yeah, it did. But I, mean, I, I do think a part of that was just his competitive nature. He'll try to run you over. Doesn't care if you're 320 or 220 or 120. Like he's He is as fiery of a guy at that position as you're going to get, but he can throw the ball. He's, he throws a really nice deep ball. He's got plenty of arm strength. And he's played enough football now where he should have pretty good recognition that everything is going to take place. I'm interested defensively, which is all the pieces gone, how it's going to look. But if you kind of follow up your point, if you're wondering about the future of Oregon football or Dan Lanning, his his potential being a star one day, which he, he probably already is and is going to be even more so. I remember the first time I sat down with him it was his first year as Georgia D.C. We get into our TV meetings and we go through, you know, 30, 40 minutes, whatever it was. And he's just so dynamic, so energetic so excited about all this guys he's going through whether it's x's and o's and he's diving deep really into like the nuts and bolts or he's just talking about a guy's life off the field and how they were able to recruit him he walked out and i looked at tom and jordan and i said that dude's a rock star man mm -hmm. like he's freaking going places uh so he obviously has a bright future and you see not just through regular recruiting but also the portal he's doing damage right now and it's not just the d-line they've, they've loaded up some guys on the offensive line through this portal cycle as well so I agree. They, uh, I think the, the talent on the second and third level of the offense and defensive line is going to be better. And we've seen Pac-12 teams kind of fall off the map because of that. USC shut practice down this spring. They stopped practicing. I don't let me be honest with you, Josh. We, we, I have never been around a program that stopped practice because guys were nicked up. Never in my life. And Lincoln said, you know what? We're going to take a little break. It's like a literal intermission. Like we don't have intermissions in movie anymore. Like he took a spring practice intermission because guys were dinged up. He's like, you go get your popcorn, go to the restroom, come back. We're going to push play again. And here we go. So, yes, it affects teams in that conference because the depth is just not where it is a lot of other places. They talk, about, they talk at USC right now about how much better can the defense get this year. They were, they were way down the list last year. I had, I had one of our bold predictions the other day. One of their fans said, hey, we're going to go to the national title game because we're going to have a top 30 defense. And I, I, I may be wrong here. I listened to Lincoln Riley. I watched the way they operate out there. I don't think he's under any illusion that's ever going to happen. I really don't. I think he <laughs> believes they got to be, if they can float in that opportunistic turnover team that's good in the red zone, yeah. that is otherwise like 45th or 50th in the country, he believes with the right quarterback, which he'll always have, they can thread the needle. They can win a title. But I want to go all the way back to Auburn right quick. So you were talking about A&M. 
And yeah, I did owe pretty much everything you said about A&M. With Auburn, um, let's just say, so let's say I were to take you out of 1998. I were to just drop you on present day Auburn Tiger 2023 team, and you were to see what your head coach just did. So Hugh Freeze came in, and then the nature of the game today is you got holes on your roster. You've got especially a year one allowance to just go take as many guys as you can get to come in there. They have taken the equivalent of a pretty much a full starting offense. Not all of them will start, but they have brought those kind of numbers in. And they have, according to 24-7 Sports, they have more four-star or higher rated players out of the portal than any class this cycle. And that counts Colorado, who brought in like 114 kids. So there's a difference, though. The point I'm trying to make is there's a difference in the Xbox world where you just have a player comes in and his rating is the level of play you get out of him versus a real-life football team made of living, breathing humans where you got the bricks and then you got the mortar in between or what we would call a team. How long does it take, man, to, to actually have those pieces form into a team? Because even in the SEC, I don't care who you start with, you're running into stiff competition pretty quickly. And like people are going to shake your cage pretty quickly. And if it's not cohesive, it doesn't matter how many stars you had next to the pieces. So I'm not saying he's not going to get the job done. I'm just saying it's such a new world. It fascinates me to watch all these portal pieces thrown together and then ask, okay, but is it going to be a team come September? Let's, let's look at a couple of examples of recent memory. Michigan State took, what, they had 26 guys out of the portal, and it worked really well. Right. And then the next year kind of crashed and burned. Uh, Tennessee had every decent player that they had on their roster left. I mean, Wanya Morris, Oklahoma, Eric Gray, Oklahoma, like DeAndre Johnson, Miami, like everybody was gone. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it, it, it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. It might be okay. Uh, but it's it, when you talk about Hugh Freeze's tenure at Auburn, I would say he has cleared the first major hurdle, and that was upgrading the talent. And you referenced a lot of it. You could you could make a honest case right now, half of their starters on their football team now not on one side of the ball or not all on one side, but half of the 22 that will start will be out of the portal easily since Hugh Freeze has arrived. It's incredible to think about that and. I, I, I'm going to cheat here a little bit, but because I, I, there's too many names to remember. He brought in their best offensive tackle, Dylan Wade. He's the best tackle on the team. Jair Shorter is the best wide receiver on that football team. They brought him in from North Texas. Peyton Thorne is the best quarterback on that football team. They brought him in. Justin Rogers is the best interior defensive lineman. They brought him on that football team. Um, you brought in an edge defender from App State that's going to be the best edge pass rusher that they have on that football team. There's seven, eight, oh, or Ronaldo Fairweather, by far the best tight end they have on that football team. He's going to have a big year, by the way. So you've got seven, eight positions. That doesn't even count Shane Hooks coming in who could help at receiver or um, a guy like Brian Batie at running back that's going to be maybe your second back when you run two-back stuff or catch the ball out of the backfield, going to help on special teams in the return game. You've got six, seven, eight, maybe nine positions that – he went and got the best guy you have on the roster. That is unbelievable. Now, that being said, that's the first hurdle. The second hurdle is, okay, you've collected the talent. Now organize the talent. Now get the talent on the same page. Have them understand what the assignments are. Have them understand what the fundamentals are that go with those assignments. What's going to change? How it's going to change? And then, probably the hardest part, go formulate and find and allow guys to be leaders. So first thing you have to do is locate them, because I'm imagining based on what they were last year and the guys that are gone, there's probably not a ton of great leadership left on that roster. Probably some guys that want to be and some guys that are trying to be, but I always try to help people out with this. Like, 
I wanted to be a leader my redshirt freshman year, but I wouldn't practice with the defense every day. And I wasn't leading to Keo Spikes and, and the guys and Ricky Neal and Ryan Taylor. Like I, I wasn't leading those guys. They didn't give a damn what I said. Now, no matter how hard I practiced or how hard I lifted in the weight room or everything else I did that the coaches wanted to, I wasn't a real leader on that football team. You pretty much have to be playing, probably starting, have to have been around for a little bit to, to be a true leader. So are there guys that they brought in that can take those roles and run with those roles and the guys will get behind and follow? So you got to now organize that talent, instruct that talent, teach that talent. And then what the next hurdle will be when the season gets here, motivate that talent. Have the guys to go out and want to do things the right way and want to play hard consistently and want to play team football, whether it's situational or just like we talked about earlier, a defensive lineman getting out of the gap. Those are the next hurdles in line for Hugh Freeze, but he has passed the first one with flying colors because the talent upgrades across the board have been numerous. And I think it's it, it has a chance to make Auburn a really dangerous football team this year. I'll tell you, the other thing he has turned into, he's turned into this cycle's Brian Kelly. And by that, I mean, remember Kelly came in last year and there was all the foolishness about what accent is he talking with? What kind of recruiting videos are we seeing out of Baton Rouge? There was all the stuff that actually doesn't matter that was dominating the headlines. Well, when Freeze came in, you had a lot of off-field stuff. You had a lot of the baggage from his past that people made the headline of Auburn hires Hugh Freeze, dot, dot, dot. How are people ever going to send their kids to play for him? What about what he did at Ole Miss? Blah, blah, blah. And the question was, will he be able to overcome that? When's the last time you heard anyone talk about that? No one's bringing that up anymore. It's just like Kelly. Folks thought, oh, this is going to be an albatross around his ankle. Two months later, it was gone because they were already getting results in recruiting. You were already feeling the positive vibes. Hugh Freeze, nothing has changed. He's still zero and zero as the head coach at Auburn. They still got a couple of months, like like 100 days before they kick it off this year. But already, that's what the portal can do. Like there's some negatives to it. There's some positives to it. One of the positives is if you're a new head coach, you, you can erase any kind of negative vibe before September just by going and leveraging that thing. And you got playing time you can offer, whether you're promising it or just saying, hey, you're smart. Look, there's wide open competition here. No one's even talking about it anymore. There's no negativity around him right now. No, and you can gain momentum in different ways. Like you said, through the fan base, they see guys. And first off, that that podcast that I do, we talk about it almost weekly, how people just pee their pants over anybody who goes in the portal. They're like, oh, God, portal kid, got to get him. (laughs) I mean, it, it happened at Auburn with a wide receiver from Ohio State. You've seen the show. You see what I do. Players come to the SEC. I go pull their film. I watch them. We evaluate them. Everybody goes nuts about this receiver coming from Ohio State. I'm looking at every game. I'm looking at every game. I'm looking at game logs. The kid hasn't played. No. I don't know what they're getting. I can't I can sit here and tell you that he's going to come in and be Randy Moss or he's going to come in and, and, and even be Courtney Taylor. Like, I have no idea because I haven't seen what he's capable of doing. But when you add that talent and then now with the way people pay attention to the portal and what that has become, you can ignite a fan base. I think you can ignite and help motivate an administration. And in Auburn's case, somehow the collective can be ignited and can be forwarded a little bit. And people can all of a sudden start getting behind that just a little bit more. And let's be real. There is a competitive portion that should be happening when you bring in guys who are as good or better than me. And now all of a sudden it doesn't look like that's just my position to go sit on for the entire season. So the level of concern, positive concern from players of I need to watch more film. I need to work out. I need to get inside the facility a little bit more. If all those things go up, 
then you have raised the level of quality of your football team before you've even played a game. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Cole Kubelik is my guest. Cube Show podcast on basically any platform you want to watch it on. You can listen on podcasts. You can go to YouTube and find it. Mac and Cube in Birmingham, if you're so inclined. Also, you frequently see him, SEC Network and ESPN. I'm not looking at this to read your bio. I'm looking at this because I want to figure out what I want to ask you next. So here's what I'll go with. I was doing your show a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about teams that can win a title. And it was McElroy, it was you, it was me. And you guys had very different criteria for how you break down who can win a title. I was a little bit more on McElroy's side. I was looking as if, as if my life is on the line, should I eliminate a team? that ends up making it. So I'm very, very broad with the funnel at the beginning of the year. You're a lot tighter with the requirements. So he and I went like 12 teams deep and you were a lot skinnier than that. So rattle them off for me. You can go coast to coast. Who can win a national championship this year in college football? Well, I I gave, first off, I gave you an easy out because I gave you the option. I was at 5'6", Greg was at like 12, 13. And I just asked you, which one would you lean more closer to? And you're Pretty emphatic, like no, I would I would be much closer to what McElroy is this year. Um, I think Georgia can win a national championship. I think Michigan can win a national championship. I I am teetering on Ohio State, and and it frustrates me a lot of years because most people just throw that in, like oh Ohio State can win a national yep. title. And I do. I'm, like, I'm really? one of them. Yeah. It was like two years ago when everybody said, oh, that's top top three team in the nation. Why? Tell me why. I I, I, I it's not that I'm down on them. It's just that. I've seen what they are when they win a national title, and I just I kind of don't think that they're that going into this year. Quarterback's obviously a massive concern. You lose your two best offensive linemen. Corner and defensive line have not been the same the last couple of years, and I just don't expect that to all of a sudden, oh, be back to what it was prior to that. Now, if they're running backs, if Travion Henderson's healthy the entire year, then I will probably give them a much better chance. But as we pointed out with guys like Devin Leary a little bit earlier, some guys have not been available for their entire career. So... I don't know if that's one that, like you said, if my life came down to it right now, we had to throw the names out, if I would actually include or not. Um, Obviously, I think Alabama can win a national championship. I think LSU can win a national championship. I think Florida State can win a national championship, but they would be towards the bottom of my list. And then it gets really tricky out in the Pac-12. I mentioned Washington before. If, If you were to ask me for a team out there that could I would give you them. And I understand where everyone's going to go and say, wait a minute, the Heisman Trophy winner's back and he throws for X thousand yards and look what he does. And they're so magnificent and they're magical. 
this is why I went where I went. I think so many people get consumed, Josh, when we start having this conversation, their brain goes get into the playoff. And I don't know why it stops there, but I don't think people think it through the next two steps. And that is, okay, we got there. Now I got to go beat Georgia and Michigan, or I got to go beat LSU and Ohio State, or I got to go beat Alabama and pick another team that we think potentially could be there. That's where I reach a stopping point with teams that are a giant maybe for me, like Texas, like Washington, like Penn State. Like Those are my big maybes. Florida State's almost in that category for me because I, I do think that Jordan Travis has some inconsistencies that could potentially cost them in that setting. And see, that's the other part of it. Talking about the regular season and maybe even the conference championship game, that's, that, that's one thing. Your inconsistencies and your flaws will be highlighted to the extent in those last two games that it's hard for me to generate confidence that a defense that literally couldn't touch people's ankles in a conference championship game is all of a sudden, I'm going to try not to cuss here, is all of a sudden going to figure out how to go get elite ball carriers to the ground, who are probably bigger, stronger, and faster than them, by the way. Like, we're just going to figure that out. Like, because we got one D lineman from the SEC, now we're going to know how to tackle. I, I just, I don't see that correcting itself in a year. Now, could we get into a track meet back and forth, and all of a sudden it's 58-52, and you find a way to win it? Yes, but the teams like Texas, the teams like USC, the teams like Clemson this year is one that my confidence is a little bit lower on. Doesn't mean I think they're going to have a bad season. It's just in that setting, the playoff, winning two of those games, I just don't see that happening because the concerns that I have and the flaws that I know you're going to have, I don't view them as being able to be overcome very quickly this college football season and being corrected. Now, a lot of teams have proved us wrong and gotten there. Very few have gotten to the playoff and broken through the next two and had massive flaws in which a lot of people thought, no, there's no way they're going to be able to go do that. Oh, yeah. Well, what it takes is it takes the TCU thing last year, but it takes that happening twice. It takes, it yep. takes you playing the very tippy top of your game. You peak in the semifinal, and you have to have probably some turnover help. You have to score on special teams. If you do that, you can beat someone like 51 to 40, whatever that score was. Then you got to go beat Georgia. I will, I w I've never been in a more anticlimactic national title environment. Not during the game now. I'm talking about before the game. I don't think I talked about it. Colin, we should have done this on our show. But anyway, I'll talk about it now. So we were on the field before the game. Georgia, some of their guys, you know, some guys come out early to stretch and stride and stuff like that. And then you get waves and then you get the entire team out for warmups. When the two teams in the national championship game were on the field for warmups, I, you've never seen anything like that in your life. It would be like watching the, the only other disparity that I could think about would not happen at the college level. It would be like if you're watching high school football and if I were down in like Phoenix City, Alabama, I'm watching the central of Phoenix City and, and some team from like West Alabama comes over in non-region action. And there you look at the size of the kids on different sides of the field and you're saying, wow, like mismatch city. But we were in a national championship game that day. So it, point, point remains there with TCU. But I think that's just a roster thing. I mean, people can understand that. Go back to Michigan for a second. Michigan's gotten themselves in that situation twice. And Michigan is a really, really good team running the ball. They are really sound up front both sides. You don't really question their identity there. They've had better pass catchers in the room the past two years than they've had at any point under Harbaugh. They've been really good at quarterback. So in other words... They're checking a lot of the boxes you're talking about. Their identity is sound. They know exactly what they are. 
they ran into a buzzsaw two years ago. And they, they ran into it again last year. So they're one of those teams even that has the ability to get there, but didn't get over the hump, whatever in the world that's supposed to mean. So here's what I did, though. Your maybes, your maybes are teams that I'm willing to group in because I know I reserve the right to shave out throughout the season. So like with Ohio State, it's really simple. I, I don't even need to pull down like a projector or anything and go position group by position group. I just know you've accumulated so much talent, you've got a shot. It may be that you crash and burn because you, you were so deficient at tackle, you had to go rely on San Diego State to bail you out in the portal post-spring. It, it may be that my grandpa telling me, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Maybe he's right this time around with Ohio State. Maybe you end up wasting that receiver room. Maybe. Or maybe, like you got Knowles in there as defensive coordinator in the second year, you see what you hoped you would see year one, which is the more quantum leap and scaling in production defensively. But anyway... The Ohio State microcosm, that's the same thing I'll use for Texas. I will never look at a roster. A&M, it's not a team we're talking about, about the national title, but even A&M, I struggle to just like slam the door on them and keep them out just because of like the prerequisite talent level that I know it takes to at least get there. But like you said, man, getting there versus knocking the door all the way down and going inside, that's, that's two different things. You, you have to, in some cases, rely on Georgia to be off a step or Bama to be off a step, because yeah. if they're not, this is like a two or three team conversation. No, and I, and I think the, one of the reasons that I would, I would put Michigan in the can group is because they've been there the last two years. Yeah. And, I, and I do think that I've seen that staff try to become more athletic, try to find more guys on the perimeter that can help become a little bit more athletic on the defensive line. I see them at least trying to morph into what they think they're going to have to be as opposed to seven tight ends on the field at one time. Uh, 90% of the time trying to go out and just, cause you're not going to out Georgia, Georgia. You're just not, you know, as we, I, I feel like we say this with Kentucky every year, like the, they're going to be great. They're going to have this, they're going to have that, but you're not going to out Georgia, Georgia. So how are you going to circumvent that problem when you get to it and you can't push those guys around anymore? Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of my problem with some of those PAC 12 teams we talked about, but to your point a moment ago, I actually have seen it. I had to go look up his last year, uh, 2018, I had Georgia, Georgia tech. Now I know it's not a championship game, the biggest discrepancy in physical appearance of two football teams, even in high school, than I've ever seen in my entire life. On the field in warm-ups, could not believe what I was looking at as far as the differential on both sides of the ball. Like, linebacker? Defensive lineman? Okay. I couldn't believe it. If, if you took Darnell Washington, now granted he's an alien, but he's a tight end. If you took him and walked him over to TCU's offensive lineman warming up over in the left corner of the end zone, Washington would have towered over any of the offensive linemen TCU was about oh, to try yeah. out there in the national title game. Well, like I talked to Stacy Searles before the Missouri game last year, and he, we were, he, was, he was walking by. I was like, Coach, can you even believe that kid? He said, Cole, if you gave me three months with that kid, I'd make him the richest offensive lineman in the history of professional football. He's like, I could make a left tackle out of that kid and probably could. But that wouldn't be as much fun, probably catching footballs and running around. But, yeah, he is a – I remember I had their spring game before the first national championship. And I asked Kirby about him when we were meeting. And I said, Coach, I loved how, as a freshman, he was a willing blocker. Because a lot of times, as a freshman tight end, they're not very willing blockers. They haven't had to do it. They don't, they, don't, they don't like it. And he wasn't the best, but he put his face mask in there, shoot his hands, run his feet. I was like, oh, the, the kid's actually trying to move people around. And ask Kirby about it, and I go, yeah. He said, yeah. He's just, he's like, you know, he's just so big. I was like, what's he walking around like? 
about 260, 265 right now. He said, Cole, he's 280. And honestly, Josh, I didn't believe it. So then I get down on the field before the spring game, and I'm standing next to him, and his ass is bigger than mine, like circumference-wise. And his waist is like four inches smaller. His waist is like my quad. I've never seen a human being built like that in my entire life, ever. And yeah, and like I asked, we had Kirby at the Regis Golf Tournament a few weeks ago about Darnell Washington. He goes, well, no, there's not another Darnell Washington, and there will never be another Darnell Washington because there's only one of that guy. So we're going to have to figure out another way to handle that at tight end. You're talking about six seven, six eight. can carry 300 if he wants to and play tight end, probably 270 or whatever he's going to play in the NFL. Um, amazing. So here's what I want to do. Um, and the re- reason I paused there is so Colin can cut this as an individual video. The coaching changes at Alabama, when you saw him, Steele in, defensive coordinator, Tommy Reese in, offensive coordinator, what did you think about it? I feel like Nick Saban was kind of trying to go back to his roots a little bit to to finish off and grab another national championship. Um, I think there are there are pieces of college football, maybe even the game of football and where it is that drive him crazy. And this first I first got a, a good look at this. I think it was three years ago, maybe two was last year I had him one time. And there had been multiple press conferences after games leading in where you could tell the local media was trying to bait him into how bad the offensive line was. And it just infuriated him. And finally, after two or three of those games, which they probably didn't run for 280 or whatever it was, but still scored 42 points and won by 30. He said, listen, you guys keep bringing up this offensive line and how bad we are. He's like, what you got to understand is we can't go to practice every day and throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. And then get in the game and get up by 21 and all of a sudden say, well, let's go move some people around. Let's bring out our bulldozers. And all of a sudden, we want to turn our gazelles into rhinoceroses and let's just go truck people. It doesn't work that way. When you don't do it, you're not going to be great at it. And I think that there is just a portion of where offense had been going that was bothersome to him. And he understands that it affects the other side of the football and it affects his football team collectively because He knows, think about the amount of detail that Nick Saban puts into everything. So he probably doesn't look at just offensive efficiency or passing game efficiency or run game efficiency or any other magical, made up, mythical PFS statistic that gets thrown out there. He looks at what helps his team win games and most likely spends the majority of his time on what cost his teams the opportunity to win games and therefore lose games. So I think he just, ultimately he wants to be more balanced. And if he wants to go run the ball 20 times in a row, he wants to be able to do that. If he wants to throw it 30 times in a row, they can be able to do that. And then defensively, that one was a little bit more difficult for me because I am not a media member that thinks Pete Golding was terrible. I actually think Pete Golding's a really good defensive coordinator. And I have visibly tried to present that to people for the last few years of, hey, I know you're mad that there wasn't a pass rush here, but when we're running a twist and the two defensive tackles really they clang the front of their face masks together like this in front of the center. And all of a sudden the middle three offensive linemen just don't have to block anybody that ain't on the defensive coordinator. So now you could say, why couldn't you go to the next guy and the, the, the youth development, maybe that was problematic. Okay, fine. But I know Pete knows defense and I know he knows how to call defense. So, but I also know Kevin Steele's fantastic and Kevin Steele. One thing that has not gotten a lot of discussion about him is he has actually morphed and taking some big steps as to how creative he is, how different he is. It's one of the things that I think Kirby has really allowed to happen with his defense 
the last couple of years with Schumann and Lanning is the creativity has changed a lot. And I think there are some things that Kirby probably would have looked back at five, 11 years ago and said, no, we ain't wasting our time on that. We do this and we do it this way. I think he's kind of said, well, no, we we need to simplify this and make it look one way. Or you know what? We probably should run that front a little bit more because these guys can be more effective doing that. I think Kevin Steele has gotten there. And for a long time, he was just the other Nick Saban disciple, another guy that ran that defense and had his Jack linebacker, you know, and, and played, you know, pattern match coverage. And that's what they did. But he has actually presented his defense in a very different way the last few years. So I think it will help because McElroy made this point on my show, and I never thought about this. He said, I think the problem with Alabama's defense right now is Nick Saban and Pete Golding are two alike in how they think hmm. about defense structurally, what they want to change, how they want to call it, who they want to play where. He says, so there's maybe a little bit too much groupthink happening defensively. Now, one thing I know about Kevin Steele, and I'm not saying they're going to fight or they're going to have like the Alabama coaching staff octagon in the middle of the day. Kevin will not be afraid to go toe-to-toe with Nick and will not be afraid to say, you know what, let's try it this way. And the main reason I say that is Kevin knows how to do that. Whereas I... Maybe you would go in there with our chest puffed out and say, look what I found on film, coach. We're going to run it this way. Kevin knows how to dance around that, and he knows how to talk through that very politely, very calmly, in a very professional manner. And Nick has the level of respect where I think he'll listen to that, and therefore they will change some things philosophically on defense. It's not They're not going out there and running the old 50 defense that the Bears ran in 85. I'm not saying that. But I think he will be able to have Nick Saban's ear just a little bit more to where he can do things in a little bit of a different way. And then offensively, I think you'll see more tight ends on the field. I think you'll see a more balanced rushing attack that's not going to be near as dependent on whether or not the quarterback wants to or feels like they should hand the ball off. The the quarterback's going to be directed to hand the ball off more this year. And I think that's something that Nick Saban believes can help his football team as a whole this entire season. You know what I wonder is, even with all the experience he's had, and the dude's forgotten a dozen times more than most of us even know about the game to begin with. Even he understood there was sort of a little element of the unknown as to where the game was headed. And he himself adapted and evolved. I almost, almost wonder, I don't wonder whether he liked it. I know he didn't necessarily love it, but I almost wonder if he looked at it and wondered, how far to the extreme is the sport going to go down this road? Because as long as it's headed down that road, I'm going to try and ride the wave instead of trailing the wave. So I'm going to go get the Bryce Youngs or the Tua's or whatever. I'm going, to, I'm going to go get Steve Sarkeesian. I'm going to try and stay at the forefront of this. But when he saw Georgia do what they've done the last two years, it, it almost feels to me like he watched it along with the rest of us and said, oh, wait, first off, yeah, obviously that still works if you can play defense at that level. And number two, perhaps that, that signifies a little pendulum swing. And if that's the case... If the sport is going to maybe regress a little bit back toward towards whatever I would have considered norm 10 years ago, well, we're going to dive in full speed. Because I, I think Nick Saban's always looked at it and understood that if the game is, is within two bookmark points of my familiarity, there, there are a dozen coordinators either side of the ball. I can go out there to get and run my stuff with the players I'm going to give them, and we can win. So I watched the rest of the world freak out about the coordinator hires. And I, I know he's probably not reading the headlines, but if he were to watch that, I think he would have met it with like a collective yawn and said, you're focusing on the wrong thing, people. You're focusing on such the wrong thing. If the game's where I think it is, if my roster's where I think it is, it, it, 
I could put Joe over here. I could put Tim over here. If they have the requisite football knowledge, I'm going to give them the ingredients, man. Like the stovetop works. A bunch of chefs that could take my ingredients and cook a really good meal with it will be fine. That's how I think he feels. Now, ultimately, we got to play the games in the fall to find out if, if A, he's right, or if B, I'm totally off base, or C, all of the above. You're not totally off base for a couple of reasons. Number one, and I laugh at the people that say, well, Tyler Buckner has got familiarity with this offensive coordinator. So that's a big advantage. He's definitely going to win that job. Not going to be that offense. No. And I talked to Bill O'Brien about this the last two years. I talked to Lane Kiffin about it. I talked to Brian Dable about it. You learn Nick Saban's offense. And you know, we had Bill the first, I think, two of the first three games his first year. And we kind of didn't believe it. And so I pressed him on it. It's like this Bill O'Brien. This dude's a head coach in the NFL. Like, he's going to run his offense. He's like, no, you guys don't understand. I spent this entire offseason learning this offense. The terminology, the formations, the shifts, the names, all these, this is his offense. Now, I call it, and he lets me call it the way that I want to, but it is, it's his terminology. So those quarterbacks that have been there, they actually have that advantage going into this. Now, and then, well, the other side of that, too, is I think people kind of just bypass the fact that Tommy Reese did have a part in bringing another quarterback in that put that quarterback on the bench, and who knows? Yeah. Nobody wants to pay attention to that. But I also think that, yeah, you're, you're accurate in saying that there is a portion of what Nick Saban wants to do coming full circle. I think it started with Iowa State a couple of years ago when Matt Campbell was living in 13 personnel, one back and three tight ends. He had the guys to do it. How many people are running majority 12 personnel now? Two tight ends, one running back. So there is a physical portion that is coming back. Michigan, we talked about them. Georgia, let's be real. They had some good pass catchers. They have Brock Bowers. They had good backs. They had a quarterback that won two titles and could scoot a little bit, but they won most of their games because they could bludgeon you at the line of scrimmage. That opened everything else up. And really and truly, the most magnificent part of what Georgia did offensively last year was the presentation of it and how they made it look because they ran everything. Like literally, they ran counter, they ran power, they ran toss, they ran toss crack, they ran split zone, outside zone, inside zone, they ran tunnel screens, they ran parameter screens, they had quarterback runs that they ran, they had replays, they had RPOs, and then all the formations, and then the motions that went those, and then the shifts, they literally, they, whoever they had doing what they needed them to do knew how to do all of it, and that's a massive advantage. So I, I think there is a portion that is getting away from throw it 50 times, how close can we be to the air raid without being air raid and keep some semblance of a run game that is coming back and saying, hey, ball control can still be valuable. Protecting our defense still has value. Moving the chains has value. Living in second and three and second and four still has a lot of value as opposed to third and 10 and third and eight. So I, I think that was a massive part. I think you're spot on. I would totally agree with those were some big reasons why he made the moves that he did. Cole Kublik joining us. Okay, let me get you one more. I'll get you out of here. It may go five minutes. It may go 20 minutes. So easily the hottest topic in college football right now has been what Dion's doing at Colorado because it coincides with, number one, a really big name out of the box getting a Power 5 job at the perfect time where he can leverage new rules and new mechanisms in college football. So like the portal roster turnover has been historic. I know it's like one of the first years that it could happen, I don't know that we'll ever see it happen this violently to this degree as we're seeing at Colorado right now. So I've heard from a ton of coaches behind the scenes about him. Some of them are just flat out jealous of the attention he gets. Okay, that's a little chunk of the pie. Several more of them don't really care about the attention. They don't like that they feel the system is getting abused. 
some of them just don't like the system, period. And then there are others like Pat Narduzzi, who at least had the stones to put his name on the record and has said, yeah. I don't think that's college football. Like, I, I am a college football coach, and whether it's the rules or not, beside the point, I don't think that's the way college football should operate. And so I've sat there and I've soaked all that in. And the thing about it is no one's necessarily wrong. Like, your opinion is your opinion. So it can't be wrong. You could feel one way, I could feel another way. But I've always looked at it like this. When the portal changed, when the rules changed, and when it kind of overlapped with the NIL rules just, just being thrown out in free-for-all fashion, and NCAA said, it's legal, but we don't really know where the guardrails are, so you're not okay, we're not okay, that's okay. I said on the show at the time, this is going to lead to a little more a professional model, and everyone was celebrating. At the time, everyone was celebrating players' rights, and everyone was celebrating that players are going to get to move just like coaches, even though that's an apples to bowling balls comparison, because one's on contract and one's not. And people were celebrating that players were going to get paid. And so I sat at this little desk in this studio right here, and I said, okay, that's technically true. Players are going to have more freedom to move. Players are going to have deeper pockets because they can monetize their name, image, and likeness. However, you're asking for them to have rights, consequence-free, and I, that's just utopian. That's never going to happen. And so what I said is, in turn, if you want them to live in the same world that a quote-unquote professional or a quote-unquote employee lives, are you ready to see how employees get treated? Are you ready to see a coach come in and decide, a third of this roster is not good enough for me? Goodbye. Case closed. Don't care that you're a college kid. And no one wanted to have that conversation at the time. Well, now they're forced to because Dion's making them have that conversation. So you're watching this, you cover the game, you talk about the game every day, you play the game. Do you have like one feel on this? Can you see it from multiple angles? How have you watched what's happening in Boulder? I think it's, it's impossible to have one feel on it. I do too. Especially, especially for, from someone who played college football at a very different time in which none of these things are even available. So I can't point my finger and say, I wouldn't have done that. I mean, I played for Rick Tricken. If you don't know, just Google it. You'll figure it out. Like most of the guys I played with would have been in the portal. I have zero doubt about that. I might've been one of them. I don't know. Um, it was just a very different time. So it's hard for me to point the finger and say, would have done that, wouldn't have done this. Uh, but I also love college football. And you know, I can remember when NIL first started getting kicked around, I was one that stood up and said, why are none of you people talking about the brand that these kids are affiliated with and the value that that brings? Everybody just wanted to, nobody wanted to open the door. We wanted to plant a brick of C4 on the door, probably like five bricks, and just mission impossible that thing, blow it up. Everybody comes rushing in and it's like, give me the loot. So I, no one wanted to say, like, this is what I thought was hilarious. Uh, Tua the headline. Tua Tungavailoa lost $13 million in NIL money when he was at Alabama. Trevor Lawrence lost $18.9 million his last year at Clemson in NIL money. How much are they making at a Sunbelt school? How much are they making at a Mountain West school? No one, it, no one even wanted to begin to try and recognize the fact that the brands they were affiliated with brought even more value than they did yeah. at that position. Not saying they weren't good players. Not saying they weren't great. But the, the brands you're affiliated with also bring a ton of value. And it was just ignored. And I think because it was ignored is why we just said, ah, let them all in. Let's, let, let's just let it go and see what happens and see how it plays out. Obviously, it didn't play out very well. Do I believe that 
the portal should be a free-for-all? No. And by the way, I don't even know why we have these windows because kids are going in every day. Like, what is a portal window? It's The portal is 7-Eleven. It's 24-7, man, 365. Like, it doesn't really close. Okay, so technically you can't enroll at another school at a certain point in time. But the thing doesn't shut down. Then we bring in tampering to the entire equation of what that is and how do you solve that? Can you solve that? Uh, there's so many questions that go along with it. I, I would just... I go back to this in that all I can reference is what college football has done for me. And every penny that I have made in my entire life is because I played football at Auburn. Now, I know some people will hear that and they'll say, oh, what, yellow fella hooking you up with a job and just giving you a check to walk around? It's not that. The understanding that you need to have is when you played at Tennessee or Michigan or Georgia or Ohio State or Purdue or Illinois or Nebraska or USC or Washington or Oregon or Auburn, that there are going to inherently be people that want to help you for the rest of your life forever. And I'll be honest with you, Josh, I am. I'll talk to Herb Street about this a couple of years ago. I can't wait to see what it looks like when we get kids that have played at three and four schools. Yeah. Is yeah. school two going to want to help him? Is school four going to want to help him? I doubt school one's going to give a damn about him. Like I just, I, where are they going to go to games? What? Like I, I took my kids to the Hoover Met. To we, we couldn't stay awake for the Auburn game last night, but I wanted them to kind of take it all in because they were playing there. Like we went there because Auburn's there. If they weren't in the tournament this year, I'm probably not taking them. Like I love taking my kids to to Auburn into games, and I don't get a chance to take them to games very much. That's why the A&M was so special last year. I had them all in the field with me before the game. Where are they going to go? And and I understand that your whole free market, free enterprise, let them make as much as they want, you know, fair, fair, fair. It, it doesn't fit into that discussion. I, I get that. I understand that. But from experience, what I'm telling you is college football has done a ton for me. And it's allowed me to do something that I love and talk about it every day and get paid to do it, which is just asinine when you really think about it. Because I haven't, I mean, I technically haven't, I tell people I haven't worked in like eight years. Now, I've put work into it, but I haven't shown up for work per se, in like eight or nine years. This It's not work. It's a job. You get a check for it, but I love it. I love every bit of it. I love compiling statistics. I love watching the film. And I don't get to do any of this if I played at a Sunbelt school or if I played at a Mountain West school. And I'm not banging on any. I love Sunbelt football. I love Maction. But the reality of it is there are just not as many people that are going to go out of their way to help you and want to see you do good things and go out of their way to make sure you're successful after that life. And this, for me, this includes medical sales, pharmaceutical sales, insurance, which God, I hated it, selling boxes, God, I hated it, and then radio, and then television, and then studio, and then that podcast out there floating somewhere that I do also. All of those things, because I wore AU on the side of my helmet and played a couple of seasons of college football at a very average level. So we've lost all sight of that and don't care about that anymore. We've turned into a and I, I can I can remember when when actually the graduate transfer first started happening, I was doing a little show on Sports Radio 730 The Ump in Huntsville, Alabama. And I can remember the guy that used to call in every day and calling me and telling me that he remembered me saying it. When that first started happening, I said, it's never going to be enough. Understand that. It will never be enough. Gimme, 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 mine, 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 more, more, more. That's the hard part about this conversation that you and I are trying to have right now, Josh, is what is going to be enough? Because look where the word transfer has gone in, I don't know what, six years, four years? Like we went from, oh, you got your diploma, which 
took coaches and academic advisors completely full circle because it used to be, hold on, slow them down, make sure they can't go anywhere. And then kind of the saving error comes in, but we want to process guys, get them through as fast as possible so we can get them out of here and get the next guys in. To now, the kids have smartened up and said, well, no, no, I want my degree in two and a half years Mm -hmm. so I can go do whatever I want. Okay, that happened. To now, it's just, I lost in Call of Duty last night. I'm out of here. I hate this place. I'm done. So is there a quick fix to any of it? No. To follow up with what you said about Coach Prime, I would laugh at the people who said that, like, I, I agree with what Pat Narduzzi said. And this is where I think just the whole other discussion for another day, collectively, I think we're all wrong in a lot of our daily lives, is we refuse to see things in the way that we disagree with. So I, it, I, you know what I liken this to? Players sitting out of bowl games. I freaking hate it. I hate it. Every, every fiber of my body hates it. But I understand it. Yeah. I get it. Like, why would Tua Tonga Vailoa go play in a bowl game? I get it. It's a month and a half head start on your NFL training, which could set you and your family up for the rest of your life. Fine. Go do it. Would I have done it? I would like to say no. I don't think I would because I love my teammates. And by God, I just love playing football. Like, give me another college football game with my guys. And listen, I was at Auburn for five years, so maybe mentally it was just different for me. But I liken it to that. I don't have to like that. But you know what? I understand it. So I'm not going to kill a kid for doing it. To get mad at Dion for doing things that aren't against the rules, Boom. to me, is a, it's a little bit ludicrous. <laughs> He's not, he's not breaking rules. He's gaming the system. The same thing that every other coach has done in some form or fashion. I, up, hurry up, no tempo offense. We, we've all done that, right? I mean, whether you want to, whether you, your guys are clapping, your linebackers are clapping, trying to mimic the snap, we got rid of that. We were gaming the system there. Now we got guys shifting right before the snap saying, move! Trying to, again, mimic a snap count. Guys are doing that. We've all gamed the system somehow whether it's holding a guy for an extra second or two to allow your running back to get past you i was never penalized in college so i wouldn't know about that whether it is you know how you utilize your timeouts recruiting you know going to see it bumping into a kid and not reporting it whatever they all game the system somehow some way so to get mad at dion for utilizing a system that's in place i'll never disagree with that or hate on that now i might not like it but that's why pat narduzzi has his team you run your program your way. And it's okay for him to voice that opinion and say, I don't think that's real college football. Here's the final question that I'll ask you. What is college football right now? Let me pause. <clears throat> I would say it's a, like a shattered window. There's some different shards. There's some different things. Now, I look at the shard that is mainly focused on Saturdays in the fall. Because I know... Yeah, you and I love the Shards, by the way. Yeah. Like, we, we'll walk on them barefoot. No problem. We, and we're happy to do it, by the way. But as far as a definition of it, sorry to interrupt you. It is... No, a, I don't know. It, it isn't a classical student-athlete experience. We, we're a long way from that. It is not... Um, it's not necessarily as pure, pristine as it ever appeared to be. Now, if you ever saw behind the curtain, you knew there were some ugly facets of it, but... Certainly the way it appeared, at least from a national perspective, way different than what it is now. Um, but at the same time, so, so here's what I'm saying. 
with the, with the thing with Narduzzi, the reason I appreciate it is because if you don't like something, you need to speak up about it. What you can't do is you can't be coming to me or texting me or DMing Cole Kublik or something and saying, I don't like this, but I'm not going to say anything publicly about it. I, I just want to vent to you because that's all that is. That's venting. At least Narduzzi went on the record with it. He thought USC tampered with his receiver. He went on the record with it. He doesn't like what Deion's doing. He goes on the record with it. So 37 other coaches do that. Hey, maybe it enacts change. But until that happens, you're stuck with what you're stuck with. But the question you just asked, that is a whole show. That's a whole nother hour. Like we go, we go to nine or 10 o'clock at night talking about that because you're, you're talking about, is it something that revolves around the regular season? Is it something that includes an educational classroom aspect along with the student athlete portion of it? Um, is it something that's supposed to enrich your life for the next 40 years versus a short-term catapult to the NFL, even though statistically most of you aren't going to the NFL and even less numbers of you who go to the NFL are making it to a second contract? Is it something that is supposed to revolve around just a playoff? Like, is it supposed to be something that enriches nameless bureaucrats who you'll never meet that work for television networks? What's it supposed to be? Because right now, the stuff that's in the news cycle disproportionately leans a lot more towards the latter than the former. That's what you and I were talking about before we started recording. Right now, it's May. And we had the audacity today to spend a good chunk of time talking about on-the-field matters. No one else is doing that. If I told you there's going to be breaking news tomorrow, you know good and well it's not going to be about Michigan's left tackle situation. It is going to be about the Pac-12 breaking up or the Big 12 breaking up. That's, that's the sport now. It's going to be about a transfer portal problem. It's going to be about NIL, this or that. So I guess... I guess that's college football. It's like five paragraphs. That's what the sport is. And it's all still beautiful in one way or another. I mean, it's it, it, and you can look at the ratings the last few years. Viewership's not going down. It's not going anywhere. I think the good news is, even if we took all the negative things and we made them all worst case scenario, I still like we're feel we're still light years away from people saying, you know what? Nah. Yep. No. Yep. No thanks. Done. Because Auburn's going to put that uniform on. And Texas is going to put that uniform on and Penn State's going to put that uniform on. And by God, we want to watch it because we love it. We love those uniforms, those bands, those traditions. In the SEC, we like night games in November. So, well, you know, it's much warmer down there. But look, picture, picture Auburn LSU. It's third quarter. It's uh, 2017 Tigers lead, obviously. And it's third and two on the opponent's 24-yard line. Click play. Can you tell the sport has changed? Crowd noise sounds the same. Uniforms look the same. The collision feels the same. The urgency feels the same. As long as those are the same, you haven't lost your sport. You may not like what revolves around it, but that's exactly what it's doing. Those things are revolving around a nucleus, and if that nucleus on Saturday in the fall remains the same, you haven't lost your sport. We were talking about pro wrestling and NASCAR the other day and how they so radically shifted in the late 90s, early 2000s. There are a lot of things changing about this sport, but has its nucleus radically shifted? I would argue no. You just suggested no. So yeah, I think we're a, we're a long way from any kind of doomsday scenario, but at the same time, you went back to talking about the grad transfer stuff. And when it first started coming, your question was, when is enough enough? We would also call that a slippery slope. The, the cognizant thing to do is start screaming the second you realize you're getting close to the edge because once you start going down a slippery slope, that's why they call it slippery. You can't get back up. And so, so you, don't, you don't wait until you're in the quicksand to start yelling, oh man, we're in quicksand. You got to yell on the front end. So if it sounds like some of us are alarmists, 
it's not necessarily because we think we're going off the cliff tomorrow. It's just because we can see maybe off in the distance the cliff and we want nothing to do with it. Because like you, I'm not interested in working. I don't think that there's any doubt that a lot of us have inherent fears about where we're going. And I think the main reason we have those is like you just said, we want to protect it. We don't want to lose it. Uh, this sport means more to me than, than any other sport because I can remember growing up as a kid in Masonville Apartments in Homewood, Alabama. People said, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, I want to play football in the SEC. Like both my parents went to South Carolina. I grew up in Birmingham. I wasn't an Auburn or Alabama fan. Like, so I've been to a lot of really cool games in the southeastern portion of the United States. My dad worked for a guy that was a mega Georgia booster, so we got tickets to Georgia games. We would go to games over there. Um, I obviously went to a ton of games at Legion Field, Bama, Tennessee, bowl games, the first SEC championship game. I went to games down at Auburn because it wasn't far. And even other college football, Jacksonville State, UAB, Samford, North Alabama, I've witnessed a lot of really cool college football, and so I fell in love with it. And I think some of us may come off as alarmists at times, because we want to protect it and when we start have we start hearing those conversations and we have to be like you said you we get asked about them we have to be a part of those conversations of are we going to the big two are we going to to two 24 team conferences what happens to everybody else i i don't i don't want san diego state to go away right i i don't i don't want north texas to go away you know, I don't, I don't want Toledo to go away. I love watching those games. And I I'm, I think a, a group of five, I know Mike Oresco won't let me call it that, but I'm going to on your show because this is your show. I think a group of five playoff would have been incredible. Last oh, I wholeheartedly years. agree. I wholeheartedly you agree with those, this. You got some of those Louisiana teams that Billy had, right. Liberty teams under Hugh Freeze. You can go back to Boise teams that we've seen, BYU if they would have been classified. UAB? UAB had some amazing Coastal Carolina the last couple of years and what Jamie was doing there. Like we could have had some badass football and I would have watched every second of it. And I think a lot of people would have watched every second of it. But that's also another. I remember Mark Rick. When we came out of the BCS era said, you know, one thing that bothers me is there's enough to go around. There is there's enough to go around. And people, Josh, I did Sanford football games in the spring during COVID. Um, I knew some of the guys over there. They asked me to do them. I'm like, it's a mile and a half from my house. Like, let's go. Got to know Chris Hatcher now. He's an awesome guy. And I, I was watching this, and I was talking to their AD, talking to some people around the administration. It was Even right after COVID, they were getting pretty good crowds. And I was like, this thing would work if they did it in the spring. Right. Like, work, work. And FCS fans told me I was nuts, that I was crazy. And I said, I'm going to tell you guys – just listen to me here. The main reason I'm telling you this. And your buddy, Brandon Walker, was the first to fight against this. He was like, they need those paycheck games. Well, the first point that I was going to make is those games are going away. Yeah. Because if we're going to the big two, what are the big two? The big two are going to have a ton of money. What do they not want to do with that money? Share it. It's that easy. And so when you look at the giant wheel of college football revenue, for the little guys, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and they're, oh, God, they're holding on by dear life. I mean, they've got the grappling hook. They've got the ice pick. <laughs> they've got, you know, the little ninja claws, whatever they are that you stick on there, like some Mission Impossible suction cups. Like, oh, they are just, ah, don't. Whew, ended on a cliffhanger there. Hey, do me a favor, because we appreciate Cole. He gave us over an hour of his time. One of the really good friends of the program that we have. Make sure you go subscribe to that channel. If you want really good college football talk, Hopefully you get it on this channel. I promise you, you'll get it on his channel. It's pretty new. We need to blow it up. Cube Show. C-U-B-E Show. 
Uh, you'll see it. It's got like less than 3,000 subs right now. So we can help that in a big way. And if you don't do it for him, do it for me, please. So appreciate Cole Kublik. Appreciate you guys watching. Make sure you like the video and subscribe to our own channel on your way out. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.